What is greatness? Some say it's only talent or only intelligence. Others say it's the sum of your strength, speed, and skill. These are only tools for accomplishing a God-given mission. God has called us to be people who stand in the face of adversity, who have the courage to destroy barriers, who run the race to win and win to glorify God. We believe the greatness God calls us to can inspire us to fight for change and freedom in a culture that resists it, to have faith when things are going well and amidst the rubble. God calls us to greatness. to the well at STSA, a place that we like to say an ordinary place where extraordinary things happen. And today is going to be one of those days where I believe that God will really inspire us to do extraordinary things. And I believe that today God will really speak to some people because what we're doing today, for those who weren't here last week, is we're co continuing in a series called Living Your Strengths. And what we talked about last week, for those who weren't here, is how God made us all each uniquely and he gifted us all with different strengths, talents, and abilities. And we saw last week, like in the parable of the talents, that God doesn't judge us all equally or doesn't judge us all the same way, but he judges us based on what we're given. So you see right here, each one should have a name tag. I got my name tag up here. And my number one strength just happens to be the best of all the strength, in case you didn't know, there is a ranking system. I have one through five. This is number one, okay, which is my uh, first strength is responsibility, right? And yes, all the responsible people, any responsible people here in the room today? Very good. Turn around and judge all the people with their hands down now, because you know you're already doing it. Very good. God is going to judge me based on what I did with my gift of responsibility and the strength that he put inside me. And what we talked about last week is how what your strengths are is that place, that sweet spot, that right fit, that when you are doing what you were made to do, it feels right. You will have joy and satisfaction. You will also have success. It'll just feel like you're, it makes sense. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And what we agreed last week is that I can do many other things, but I can't, I can't necessarily do all those things well. Like you could put me on the connection team, all right, and the welcoming and the greeting, and I could do it. Like, I mean, I have the, the mental capacity where I could do it, but I probably wouldn't do a very good job. I myself wouldn't be very happy with it because it's not my skill. And the people who I'm greeting probably would say, thank you, no thank you, okay, if that's how friendly the people are there in that church. So your strengths are all about what you do well, all right, and where your sweet spot is. Hopefully by this week, by this Sunday, everyone has taken the Strengths Finder test and knows their strengths. Okay, I see lots of nods, but not a lot, uh, not, so not all. Okay, that's okay. What we're going to do today, all right, for those who didn't get a chance to take the test, you still have a chance. As I announced um, a little bit ago, is we are going to have workshops today after we finish up here at the well. All right, we're going to have two different workshops going on here in Arlington. And workshops are a chance where you can get together in a smaller group. It won't be this size, obviously. be a smaller group of people where you can discuss and you can dis and talk about and understand your strengths and kind of see other people's strengths and see how that person's strength, you can see how... Maybe you would judge that person, but now that you realize that's how God made them, you look at them differently, you can look at yourself a little bit differently. There'll be two workshops today, which I invite you to join. One, if you uh, are in need of child care, will take place here at George Mason. 
All right, or if you don't need childcare, if you just want to do it right here, you're certainly welcome. It'll take place after we finish uh, in the back of the room right there. We may go to that small little room in the back there. Another one um, will take place just a couple blocks away in Arlington. We'll have the address at the very end of the presentation up on the slide. All right, hopefully everyone can do that today. If you took the test and you saw your results, let me see just by like some head nods of those people who did that when they were reading it, felt like that description was very accurate of how they live their lives. Do we agree with that statement, people who took it? Okay, very good. I felt, to be honest, as I was reading the results of mine, I felt like I was reading my own biography story. Like someone had wrote a story in my life, and they were describing it, and I thought they had gotten information from my wife about our fights and things like that to put inside that story because it tells you what you're going to be strong at and where your weaknesses are and where you're going to excel and where you're going to be vulnerable in certain areas. The goal of our lives is not just to survive, especially when it comes to life in the church, and just do something. The goal in our church is to do what you do best. And if you remember what I said last week, I said this all started when we did a survey of the members of the church, and we talked about our core values, and that one core value of faithful stewardship of our talents and gifts. And someone said, I'm using my gifts, but I'm not maximizing my gifts. And another person said, I feel like I don't get to showcase what I do best or something along those lines. Those words maximize and showcase. That's what this is all about, is figuring out where your sweet spot is and doing that for the glory of God. And you know what happens? When every single person who's sitting in these chairs is serving in their sweet spot and volunteering in the place that works best for them, then this is no longer a church. You know what we become? We become a tidal wave. All right? And there's no limit to what this church can do in the community, and also in our lives. And apparently, I'm not the only one who thinks this as well. I'm going to show you a verse from John chapter 14, verse 12. Apparently, Jesus thinks that when we serve in our strengths, great things can happen as well. Jesus said this, So most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Jesus said, who believes in me, the works that I will do, he will do also. And had the verse just stopped right there, we just said, wow, that's incredible. Jesus is saying the stuff that he did, we can do. But Jesus said, no, no, no. That's just the appetizer for the verse. That's just the first half. Let me give you the second half. And in fact, greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. For those who are at, uh, we did a conference back in uh, February or March or January, one of those months, called Momentum. For those who were there at Momentum, we spent an entire weekend on this verse on figuring out what does it mean when Jesus says that we will do greater works than him. Like, don't just take this verse in one ear and out the other like we usually do. What does Jesus mean when I will do, I, forget about you, y'all are good people, but me, I'm a normal, ordinary person. How am I going to do greater than him? What did he do? What's on his resume? Um, walk on water. Anybody? Water to wine. Anybody? Water to wine? Anybody? I'm not talking about going to the store and buying it, okay? About water to wine. No machines, no nothing. Anybody? Five loaves, two fish? Fed, any, fed thousands of people? Anybody raise the dead? Heal the blind? Cast out? Not many demons, just one demon. Just raise your hand if you cast out just one or two demons. Anybody? Jesus' resume is quite impressive. And he tells me I'm going to do greater? Like, I'm the guy, I set up the stage, I hang the banner. You feeding 5,000 with two pieces of fish and five pieces of bread, and I'm going to do greater? 
I set up chairs. I prepare PowerPoints. I shake people's hands as they walk in, which doesn't seem like a very great task. But Jesus said that what I do, you will do greater. I don't know what this verse means, but like I said, we spent an entire weekend talking about this verse, and I want to get into it a little bit today, because unless you're smoking something, which I'm not going to say what it is, this verse doesn't make sense. Unless you are on some kind of controlled substance, this verse where Jesus says, you will do greater than me, cannot make sense in my puny little mind. Like, like I said, what am I supposed to do? Like, I bring the snacks. Am I supposed to, like, bring only five loaves and two fish and then feed the hundreds of people here, and, that, and that's what I'm going to do? How does this verse make sense for me and you? This is our topic here for today, because I believe that this verse is true, because the Word of God doesn't lie. And if God is promising us this, then we have to figure out how we can accomplish this verse. Here's what I want to say up the front, then I'll spend the rest of the time talking about it. And again, for those who are at Momentum, it's be a little bit of a recap of what we talked about, a refresher. Jesus isn't calling us to be greater than him, but rather greater with him. Jesus isn't calling us to be greater than him, but greater with him. We define greatness with quantity. Bigger, better, faster, more. Jesus fed 5,000 to be greater. I should feed 6,000. Jesus made wine. I should make uh, whatever. Let's go away from that example. Okay, Jesus healed, <laughs> Jesus healed uh, blind people. Um, I should heal blind people and uh, lame people. And we view it in a quantity kind of a way. I'm a priest. I want to be the greatest priest means I should have the biggest church and the most number of people that I shepherd. And my sermon should be attended by the most number of people. And I should sleep the fewest number of hours. And if I do that, then I'm the greatest. We define greatest in a quantity way. Does Jesus define greatness in quantity? Let me give you a couple examples from the Bible. I'm asking these questions. I'm, not, I'm asking. I'm not answering. Once upon a time, true story, Jesus was sitting outside the temple where the people put the money in the box outside the treasury. And said, so Jesus sat there, and he watched how people put money in. And a big guy came and dropped a lot of money. Let's say for our purposes, dropped $10,000 in there. And then another lady came and just dropped two pennies in there, widow with two mites. And Jesus said the following, and I quote, I tell you that this lady, listen to exactly what word I say, has put in more than all the rest. Jesus said the lady with the two mites has put in more than all the rest. One put in 10,000, one put in two. Jesus said, who did greater? Who was greater, 10,000 or two? Who was greater? Widow with two mites. Another example. Once upon a time, Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 18 about two men went up to the temple to pray. One man fasted twice a week, knew the Old Testament inside and out, said many, many prayers, was a very distinguished man. He stood up and he prayed a long prayer. And then another guy, who didn't do nothing, didn't fast, didn't give, didn't know anything in the Bible, came up and said two pretty little words. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Which one did Jesus say was greater that day? The man with the big words or the man with that sincere prayer? Another story you all know. You all heard of Mary and Martha. 
A lady named Mary, or a lady named Martha, Jesus was coming over, and she got the soup ready, and she got the drinks ready, and she got uh, cut the vegetables, and she uh, made the plates, and she got the this, and she got the that, and she was busy, 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 did all this stuff. Another lady, a lazy lady, Mary just sat there lazy and sat there and did absolutely nothing. And Jesus said, this day, which one did a greater work? Jesus doesn't define greater with quantity. He defines it with quality. The problem for us is when we hear this verse about Jesus said, you should do greater works than me. We don't have a definition of what great means. We don't have a, a clear working definition of what it means to be great in the eyes of God. I can go and listen to a sermon and someone says, you'll be great if you sell everything that you have and go live in the desert. And then I could turn the radio station to another channel. I can hear a sermon saying the exact opposite. I knew that God made me great when he gave me a big house and a big car and all kinds of riches. And then someone will say, you want to be great? You should pray 24 hours a day. And someone else will say, you want to be great? You should spread the gospel 24 hours a day. Well, I only got 24 hours, and I can't do this for 24 Not Like the two are mutually exclusive of one another. Praying all day means that I can't be preaching all day. So which one is it? Is, okay, so that's a good question. Which one? Let's give a rank because we like you know, top 10 lists. What's the highest on the list? Praying all day or preaching all day? Which one's better? Is it possible to take, you know, like in the iPhone, the drop a pin? You know the drop a pin? Okay. Is it possible to take the landscape of spiritual life and drop a pin and say, this is the most spiritual. Everyone be just like this. Is that possible? Is it possible to define one gift or one set of strengths, or one set of, 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 of services, or one set of whatever, and say, this is superior to all the others. In our mind, that's how we look at it, but I don't think that's how in God's eyes. And I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you that in God's eyes, he looks at it differently. Let's turn to Scripture, and let me ask you a question. Who in the Bible does Jesus say is great? First person that I came to is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Jesus says this in Matthew eleven eleven. He says, Surely I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a risen one greater than John the Baptist. Okay, perfect. Case study right here. We have a guy that Jesus said, there's no man who is greater than this man. Okay, let's see what this man did. This man, I bet you, preached hundreds of sermons. This man, I bet you, healed many sick people. I bet you he uh, started many, many, many churches. What did this man do? This man had one sermon he gave week after week after week after week. Y'all would kill me if I did that. He had one sermon. Now, granted, it was short. Okay, so that's uh, advantageous. But it was one sermon. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they say, John, teach us something new. He'd say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. They say, okay, John, we heard that last week. What you got this week? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. John, what was your quiet time about? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's his only message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The guy went out in the desert, didn't do nothing for nobody, didn't help any little orphans, didn't help any widows across the street, didn't do anything like that, didn't build any church. He said one message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But he did that message so well that even Jesus said when the Pharisees were coming, Jesus said, y'all went out to the wilderness to see John the Baptist. What were you going out to see? What were you going out to see? A man, fancy man, dressed in nice clothes, preached nice sermons? What were you going out to see? John the Baptist did one thing. But man, he did that one thing really, really well. And I'm telling you, John the Baptist's reach, his effectiveness 
was greater than all the television and internet evangelists of the world today. Bible says that all of Judea came out to hear him and they repented. John the Baptist was great, even though he didn't do much. How about ladies, just so we don't appear sexist around here? And gender equality, who's great among the ladies? And that's an easy one. You look in the Bible, there's one lady who's greater than all the other ladies. And that's Virgin Mary, mother of God herself. And Jesus, I'm sorry, and Virgin Mary said this about herself when the angel came to her and told her she's going to bear the Son of God. She said, and she's not speaking on her own, she's speaking as inspired by the Spirit of God. Says, behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. She said, from this point forward, everyone will look at me and say, this lady is a great lady. This lady has done great things. Okay, what did Virgin Mary do? John the Baptist at least preached. Did Virgin Mary preach? she say anything? Very few things she said. Prayers mainly she uttered. She didn't say much. Did she do any miracles? Did she help, uh, 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 like I said, uh, widows, dying? Like what, what, did she help any of that stuff? She did one thing. What was that one thing? God came to her and said, you will bear the Son of God. And I'm not giving that task to anybody else in the universe. Only one person, you. From the beginning of time to the end of time, only one person I'm asking to do this job. And she did it so faithfully. And she did it with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength. Even though she knew that as was prophesied, that a sword will pierce her heart. And believe me, and the parents understand this, that knowing that your son is suffering is worse than suffering. Knowing that your son is going to suffer is even worse than watching him suffer. Like it's the anxiety of, I know my son is going to die a brutal death. She had all this kinds of knowledge and she understood all kinds of stuff. Virgin Mary didn't do much. She did one thing, but she did it very well. How about our church history? There's another person that's called great. And he has a great name. St. Anthony the Great. St. Anthony the Great, not to be confused with Father Anthony the Great. You can use them interchangeably, but... St. Anthony was the first of the monastics, the first to leave the stuff in this world and go out and live in the desert and be with God. And the church gave him the title, The Great. That's why you, if, you, if you pay attention to the liturgical prayers, we go through the commemoration of the saints, we say the great father uh, of Anthony, all right? What did St. Anthony do? John the Baptist preached, Virgin Mary bore the Son of God. St. Anthony did even less than the both of them. He did even less because he didn't actually do anything. What St. Anthony did is he walked into church one day and he heard this verse, Matthew 19, 21. If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. He heard this verse. He did it. He didn't go out and tell everybody else to do it. He didn't go out and, 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 and build a monastery for other people to do it. He heard this verse. He took it, buried it in his heart, and he went out and fulfilled it. And yes, eventually, he had a very public ministry. And St. Anthony, for those of you who don't know, was the mentor like his disciple was St. Athanasius, after whom our church is named. So you couldn't have St. Athanasius unless you had St. Father Anthony or St. Anthony the Great. Okay, either one. You wouldn't have this without this. So yes, he eventually had that reach, but that's not what made him great. When he was called great is because he took one little verse and he fulfilled it. And he was faithful to that calling. Virgin Mary, John the Baptist, Anthony the Great. I say those three gave us a definition of what greatness is greatness is 
you had to come up with a definition, is faithfulness to your calling. Greatness is faithfulness to your calling. I'm not great if I have a big church as a priest or a small church. I'm not great if I preach the best sermons or the worst sermons. I'm not great if I take 100 confessions or zero confessions. That's not what makes me great. What makes me great is if I can stand in front of God when all is said and done. And he says, I asked you to do this one thing, and did you do it? And if I can answer the question, yes, then I'll be called great. Because as it says in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, in stewards, it is required that one be found faithful. That's why I always say that greatness is not about what you do, but it's about what you say to God. It's not about what you do for God. It's about what you say to God. And greatness is about saying one thing to God. It is about saying yes. It is about saying, this is how you made me. You made me with this strength. This is how you made me, and I accept it, and I give it back to you. Five loaves and two fish. That's the best story. You all hear me talk about that all the time. Is this is God what you gave me? You didn't give me ten loaves and two and four fish. If you'd give me ten loaves, I'd offer ten loaves. If you give me twenty loaves, I'd offer twenty loaves. If you gave me fifty, I'd offer fifty. You gave me five and two. And I'm telling you that if I offered four and one, I would be unfaithful. And I would not be called great. But if I offer whatever God has given to me, that's what I'm saying. That's that yes. God, you made me. This is how you made me. And I offer it back to you. You gave me the gift of, who got a strength? The gift of woo. Woo is a gift, apparently. Okay. Stands for winning others over. Okay. And that's what, you gave me woo. I give woo back to you. Okay. You gave me gift of, someone shout out another one. I can't read that. What's it say? Relator. You gave me gift of relator. I give that back to you, God. You gave me gift of who? Empathy. Okay. I offer empathy back to you, whatever my gift is. I'm not saying everyone has to be empathy. I'm not saying everyone has to be related. God knows I, many of us are not woo, okay? But who's woo, be woo as faithfully as you can. As relator, as faithfully as you can. As responsible, as faithful as you can. That's what greatness is in God's eyes. Believe me. And you all have heard me tell this story many, many times. Number one most common question I get asked, how did you end up becoming a priest, especially at such a young age. So the first answer to that is it's the truth. It's too true. Like, they're both true. First is, I had no idea what I was doing, okay? And that's the truth, is I really had no idea what I was doing. But I knew one thing, and this is what I always say, is that my decision to become a priest at a young age was not because I decided to say yes to priesthood. To this day, I never said yes to being a priest. I was never asked. I was told. But I did say yes the most important yes I've ever said in my life was when me and my wife were dating. We sat in a Borders bookshop. I remember it like it is. And she'd tell you the story. Okay. We sat in a Borders bookshop. And we were dating and we were getting ready for marriage. And we were discussing what our future holds. And we discussed many, many different things. And we had no idea at that time what God had in store. But we agreed one thing. That whatever God says, we will never say no. Whatever God says, we will never say no. At the time, we were both working as consultants in like IT. If God wants us to be trash men, we'll be trash men. Won't say no. God wants priesthood, won't say no. If God wants us to move to Africa, at the time our heart was really like in Africa, we won't say no. And we said the worst thing, God forbid, if we end up stuck as IT consultants for the rest of our lives. <laughs> I'm not joking. We said we won't say no to you, God. 
We feel like we can do so much more and we want to do more, but God, we won't say no. We'll never say no. And that decision to say yes, then all of a sudden, uh, preach in front of the congregation. Okay. Uh, drive the church bus. Okay. Uh, be a priest. Okay. Take some confessions. Okay. Give, uh, okay. Because I already said yes. Once I said yes, that was it. It's like when we put on this ring. Once I said yes to my wife, that was it. There's no more thinking. I don't... I meant that in a positive way. Okay? I don't know. It may have been interpreted differently, but I meant it in a positive way. There's no more thinking. There's no more thinking. Are we compatible? No, we're compatible. Why? Because we got a ring around our fingers. We're compatible. There's no more thinking. Is she the one for me? No, she's the one for me because I just said yes. And once I said yes, I don't figure out if. I figure out how. And once I say yes to God, I'm not, I'm not evaluating and saying, God, I'm saying yes to God. And once I say yes, that's it. That's how God's going to judge us. God is not going to judge us on what we did. I promise you. Well, let me say that again. God's not going to judge us based in an objective way on who did the most. Bible says in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, For everyone to whom much is given, for him much is required. And for whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Just like in the parable of the talents. One was given five, he was asked for five. One was given two, he was asked for two. God did not ask the two guy for five. And God did not ask the five guy for two. God asked the five for the five and the two for the two, because to whom much is given, much is required. One day, you will look Jesus in the eyes, straight eye to eye, straight eye to eye, and he's going to look at you, and he's going to say, I gifted you to be great. What did you do? You sat there drinking your cup of coffee every week, consuming, consuming, Consume, you were a consumer or you were a contributor. I gifted you to be great. And you are the only single person in the universe that can do what you can do. John the Baptist was the only one who could be John the Baptist. Virgin Mary was the only one who could be Virgin Mary. St. Anthony was the only one who could be St. Anthony. And you are the only one who can be you. You are the only one who is gifted to be you. And what are you going to do with that? Sit on it. Say, thank you, God. We praise you. What's for lunch? Or are you going to say to God, yes? You know what the greatest enemy of greatness is? Let me tell you what it's not. We think the problem is, well, I would do great things if God, and you fill in the blank, if God gave me more time, if God gave me uh, more gifts. I would love to do what Father Anthony does. If God gave me that, I'd do that. I would love to do what so-and-so does. If God gave me that, I'd do that. We make up all these excuses as to why we don't do great things. Want to be honest? Want to be honest? You know the reason you don't do great things? Because you don't really believe God made you to do great things. The problem, the number one enemy of greatness is me. It's my lack of faith. And I showed you all this verse a couple weeks ago. The number one enemy of a greatness is not my lacking of gifts, because that would mean it's God's fault. The number one enemy of greatness is that I don't believe in the end that I can really be great. In the end, I don't really believe that there's much use that can come out of me. Look, Father Anthony, this greatness talk is nice. We tell the kids that to make them think some nice things, but let's be fair. Let's be practical. Man, I got a work deadline on Tuesday. You're talking about being great for God? Man, I got a, a, a chemistry exam next week that I'm trying to study for. Man, I got bills. Man, yeah, my back hurts. My neck hurts. My neck and my back. I got all kinds of problems. 
And you sit and talk to me about be great? Like, God, if I can read one chapter of the Bible, that's great for me. If I'm lucky if I make it to church on Sunday by 9.30 a.m., like, that's good enough. You should accept that. The number one problem in life isn't that God doesn't gift us. The problem in life is that we don't believe. Matthew 13, 58, I told you, this is the scariest verse in the Bible. This verse sometimes makes me wake up at night like sweaty in a bad way. This verse scares me because I don't ever, 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 ever want to get to heaven and hear this verse said about me, my house, my church, my group of friends, about my nothing. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. God would never ask you to be great without gifting you to be great. I could never give my son a pair of scissors and say, go mow the lawn. That would make me a bad father. God would never leave you and say, go be greater than me. Go do greater works than these. Can't. If God says, go do greater works than these, then you've got to believe that he has gifted you to do it. And he's given you everything that you need. Not to be great in a worldly quantity kind of a way, but in a quality faithfulness kind of a way. And greatness is going to God and saying, yes, God. To use the marriage analogy, I do. I'm in. I'm all in. Greatest enemy of a life of greatness is me. Again, I'll talk about me just because I only know me. I'm not saying that I'm anything special. All I'm saying is I'm me. Okay, I could talk about you, but you'd be offended if I talked about you, so I'll talk about me. So don't be offended if I talk about me because I'm talking about me. 2011 was the year. By that time, I'd been a priest for 10 years, and I was serving over at St. Mark's Church out in Fairfax. At that time, you'd have asked me, St. Mark's Church, best church in the entire universe. And I'll say that to the day that I died. Best church, I was in the best church. I had the best boss. I was in the best congregation. I had the best everything all around me. My life was fantastic. My life was as good as it could be. I w- I'm not saying it was an easy life. I was working hard. I was, I, was, I was at the time the church. I was the headmaster of the school. Like I was working and I was doing all kinds of stuff. And very easily for me to say, someone says, do great things for the Lord. And I say, I am. I'm doing great things for the Lord. Very easy. You go do great things for the Lord. But at that time, it was about a year-long process where I knew very clearly that God was calling me to do greater. And God was calling me to go beyond where I was. I didn't want to because I know I stand up here and I talk and you say, oh, he's got vision and he's enthusiastic and he's faith. That's not me. Don't be fooled by what you see up here on stage. Don't be fooled because you see the final page in my faith story because you missed the first 15 chapters of me scared, of me running, of me wanting to do anything except step out in faith. So don't be fooled by what you see up here. This is just the, 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 where the credits are rolling, okay, at the end of the movie, and everyone's happily ever after. You missed the beginning. And I'm telling you, you see me as a risk taker. I'm not a risk taker. I'm a play it safer person. And at that time, I was serving. We just got a new house out in Clifton. My kids were in school there. Like, our life was out there. But God was saying he wanted me to do something greater. And I spent one year struggling with this. Nobody knew about it. Nobody could tell. Now, back in hindsight, people could tell. I had every reason to not take that step. But God cornered me. 
And he said, you said you would do whatever I said, right? And God said he wanted me to do something greater. And that's where this church came from. And the vision of this church, which I won't get into right now, all right? But the vision of this church came out of that year of struggling with. And I don't want to say that I'm doing great things or great things have happened, but I'll just show you some of the greater things that have happened. This is some of the fruit of what's happened since we started STSA, all right? And some of the people who have joined the church since we started uh, the church here. And just last week, I didn't have time to get the picture up because I was on vacation all last week. We added five more pictures. And each one of those, as I kept saying last week, we don't look at this and say, how many people have joined the church? How many? We don't, we don't look at numbers because no such thing as numbers. That's, that, that's greatness in our eyes. It's not greatness in God's eyes. Greatness in God's eyes is not about numbers. It's about individuals. And it's about one person finding the church, finding the house of God, finding a relationship with God, that one person. And I'm not saying, listen to me carefully, I'm not saying that I'm great. But what I'm saying is my yes my yes allowed God to do greater things through me. And your yes will allow God to do greater things through you as well. And if we all put our yeses together and add all those yeses, I'm woo, I'm relater, I'm empathy, I'm responsible, I'm a whatever. We all put those yeses together. And there's nothing. There's nothing that God can't do through the people inside this church. You know what saying yes does? You know, there's a story in the Bible, in the Old Testament, about Moses crossing the Red Sea. Moses crossing the Red Sea is such a good story because Moses, like let's say Moses, wanted to cross the Red Sea. How much effort would it take to part the Red Sea in two? Like how many people? Like let's say Moses by himself and say, okay, I need help parting the Red Sea. Come help me. And say, okay, we need uh, uh, more people. We need 20 people, 30 people, 40 people, 50 people. Would that have worked? 60 people, 70 people, 80 people, 90 people, 100 people to part the Red Sea. Would that have worked? Saying yes to God uh, puts you in a new stratosphere. Saying on me, without saying yes to God, you can work, and it's one plus one plus one plus one. But saying yes to God, like we talked about before, that allows you to enter a new stratosphere, which nothing could, nothing could possibly reach that level of parting the Red Sea. And that's what I'm saying. We say yes to God. Man, there's no limit to what God will do. You're in a new, in a new stratosphere. You're in a new plane. You're not addition. You're... Uh, Six to the third. What's that called? Exponential. You're in the exponential phrase, frame. Okay, I wanted to go above multiplication. Exponential, all right? Factorials as well, all right? Whatever that may mean, all right? <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say, all right? You're not doing addition anymore. Why? Because I believe, and I believe with all my heart, that if you are a child of God, greatness is your birthright. It was given to you the day that you received the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me that I have the spirit of the living God and I'm going to live an ordinary life. Don't tell me that I have the spirit which raised Christ from the dead inside me, alive inside me, and I'm going to live a boring life. Don't tell me that's possible. I don't believe that's possible. Greatness is the birthright of the children of God. And the only way that we're going to understand what that means is when we say that yes to God. And we say, God, regardless of what it is, my limitations, my anxieties, my fears. I'm telling you again, just, just so I, I can't express this enough. You see me up here, you don't see. I'm telling you, especially at the beginning of my priesthood, 
probably, I've been a priest now probably 13 years. Not probably, exactly 13 years, okay? All of those 13 years, I probably spent the first eight or nine of them. Every Sunday before I stepped up on the stage to preach, I stood up here and I'm, yeah, and I'm this and that. You didn't see me sweating, okay? My knees knocking. You didn't see me almost getting sick every Sunday before I stood up to preach a sermon. People say, oh, you're so natural at it. I don't say, you don't see me, honestly, in front of God as my witness, driving to church, praying for an injury of some sort, pretending I'm in a fake sickness so that I get out of preaching that Sunday. I'm not joking. That's the way I am. You may see this, but that, that's not, what I'm saying is your limitations won't stop you from doing great things when you say yes to God. Your sins. You don't think I have that little voice inside my head? When I sit over here, over there, and I walk up here, there's that little voice inside my head that says, you're going to go preach to these people? Who are you? Don't you remember what you did yesterday? You don't, forget, you don't remember your sin? Well, let me remind you of your sin. Let me remind you how you did and how you did. I'm not going to tell you what I did, but you know, okay? You know what you did, I know what I did. You don't think I have that little voice that's always in my ear? Don't tell me limitations. The only limitation is your lack of faith. That's the only thing that will stop you from living a life of greatness. Because that's what Jesus said. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do greater. He who believes not in himself, not in his abilities, but believes in me, that I gifted him, I gave him these talents, and I am inside him, and my spirit is inside him, and if he believes in me, he will do greater things than me. Most of us aren't in danger of ruining our lives. We're in danger of wasting our lives. And that's the problem and the plight of the world today in the church. I'm not saying you're out there robbing banks or knocking over old ladies with shopping carts or stealing babies' kids or uh, candy, okay, or babies' kids, okay. <laughs> babies' candy, candy from babies. I'm not saying that you're doing anything bad. And you may say, you know, Father Anthony, chill out a little bit. Like, we're okay. Like, I'm not saying that you are ruining your life. But I'm saying that you may be wasting it. And in this church, I believe with all my heart that God has, to say God has great things in store for this church is an understatement. And you're going to start to hear about some of those great things over the coming weeks. you start to hear about some of the plans that God has for the future of this church. And I believe they are not great. They are gigantic. They are ginormous, gigantic. You're going to start to hear about it, and you are called to be part of it. The fact that you're sitting in those seats today means that you are called to be part of that journey. You are called to be part of that greatness. But the question is, are you willing to say, yes, God? Are you willing to go to God and say, God, whatever you say to me, whatever you ask of me, whatever you need from me, like that boy with the five loaves and the two fish, it isn't much, God, but it's all that I got. I don't have much gifts, but you gave me this one. I give it back to you. And whatever it is that you need me to do, I offer it back to you. Let's stand up together and say a prayer. I want everyone to close their eyes before we pray. And I want you to close your eyes. And like I said, this picture, like you're standing in front of Jesus himself. I want you to see him like giving that look to you of I've given you whatever gifts. 
And now I'm asking you if you would give it back to me and offer yourself back to me and say yes to me. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we don't want to finish this life and just have earthly things to show for it. Yes, we have diplomas and we have money in the bank and we got houses and cars and stuff. But Lord, if that's all we have when all is said and done, then we lived a miserable life. Lord, we want to be great in your eyes. We want to fulfill this verse that says that, that greater things than these we will do. We don't understand how piddly little us, you can make great things come of it. But just like that little boy didn't understand how five loaves and two fish could feed so many, we offer ourselves back to you. We pray that you would reveal to us how you want us to serve you and how you want us to offer ourselves. And whatever it is, Lord, each one of us, say this in your heart, each one of us is saying yes to you, God, saying that we will not hold anything back from you, God. We will offer everything that we have. Our time is yours. Our money is yours. Our gift is yours. Every, everything that we have, Lord, our energy, our health, everything that we have, we put it back in your hands, knowing that's where the blessing and the greatness comes from. We thank you, Lord, for this day and all that you've given to us. And I thank you for every person that you brought here to this church. Please, Lord, help them to start living this new life of greatness beginning today. We pray this in the name of your only begotten Son, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Don't forget about the uh, workshops. If you want to stick around, there's one here and then one at this address starting in a little bit.